Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is. Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. hit record and we're good to go cheers hey to you as well Thanks, thank you right. so much for the invitation down here um we're currently in south florida and uh i do a typically a, a very terrible job of introducing people but i'm going to do a really good job of introducing you <laughs> because the reason we are down here is because fred was one of the individuals who loves blood origins but decided to tell me what was wrong with Blood Origins in terms of what we were doing. I don't know if wrong is the right word. I, I, <laughs> I totally agree. Wrong is not the right term. Just wanted um, an explanation of my side of the story. Exactly. And this is what I love about Blood Origins, is that we have built this platform for dialogue. And people would have seen your comment Nobody knows you. Nobody knows your comment. But people would have seen that comment, and because it's the social media space, would have expected it to be this angry individual who, <laughs> you know, has a, has a, has a, a burden to bear and has a grind, an, an axe to grind with us at Blood Origins. But that wasn't the case because we exchanged a couple of comments I went in the DM, I said, here's my phone number, let's talk. And 30 minutes later, we had a, probably about a 45-minute conversation. Right, probably so. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself, Fred? Well, uh, first off, Robbie, thanks for having me on, and thanks for coming down to Quail Creek here in Florida. I'm Fred Finese. I'm the general manager of a place called Quail Creek Plantation. i um, been here a little more than 23 years. 
and basically been fortunate enough to show a lot of people a good time in the outdoors. We got uh, turkey hunts and quail hunts and throw about four and a half million sporting clays targets every year. Run an orange grove and uh, maintain a cow herd. And um, we just uh, have uh, raised our son here, my wife Maria and I, and uh, working for the Hudson family and taking care of this place. And we've uh, had a really great experience meeting folks from all walks of life who've been through our doors to uh, not only hunt and fish a little bit but to just create great memory would you say though that you at, at your heart are a cattle guy a rancher well uh i love it i'm actually first generation at it and i think some people in my family wondered why i wanted that but uh i do love everything that goes with the industry i i love um the land i love the animals i love the history I really and truly appreciate the people that are involved in ranching. Um, I've had the good fortune of belonging to the Florida Cattlemen's Association since uh, I was pretty much in high school in the mid-80s, and then in time had the chance to work my way up into their ranks and be involved in their boards. And of all the organizations that I belong to, it's one of the only ones that I can recall that before every meeting, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, we say a prayer, we say the pledge, and they're just uh, hearty people that uh, you know really have a great touch for their way of life and for the earth and and all that surrounds it. It's it's definitely a way of life. It's not a business. So yes, I do love ranching. So Fred, you're telling me that cattle ranchers respect the environment. There's no question about it. They have to. The environment is their livelihood. So the best cattle ranchers, Robbie, are first grass farmers. So, you know, in, in our realm, you know, there's a lot of segments to the cattle business, but in our realm, we're mostly cow-calf people where we maintain brood cows. Brood cows are bred by bulls. Nine months and ten days later, they have a calf. We raise that calf till they're about seven to eight months. And then they go forth from there till they're 15, 16 months old before they're taken to provide a wholesome product for a, a hungry public who likes a steak. Why do you think cattle ranchers, probably like hunters, have this perception that you don't care for the environment? You guys are just, you know, you degrade the environment. Right. Well, I mean, that's probably a, a really good question from somebody who might not be, um, I'm not going to say are not informed or unintelligent, but they just have a different perception. They might see some bravado. They might think of John Wayne. They might think of nowadays Yellowstone and and uh, uh, I can't even think of what the guy's name is. It's uh, you know Costner and, and his role, but that's not really how the group of people that I work with and and have been you know surrounded by. That's that's not who they are. They're they're actually a a very humble people who um, respect the environment. They respect their animals. You know, there's such a thing as, as called, um, you know, cruelty to animals and there's animal welfare and those sorts of things. And and people would, would maybe think that, you know, cow people, dairymen, ranchers are, are in some way manipulative or mean or handle cattle improperly, which is so untrue because added stress, additional stress, any uncomfort to the animal itself, you know, really hurts production. So 
the least thing a real cowman would do would, would want to be to provide any kind of uncomfort to their animals because it would attend, it would really hurt their bottom their bottom line. So most of the ranchers, just about all of them that I know, want cattle worked in a very kind and humane way, quietly, slowly, and um, in a way that just helps that animal go about its daily business of raising beef. You've, you almost just described in a cattle sense the the problem with perceptions around hunting may may very well but you know perception is the key word perception is what somebody perceives as real and in their mind if they think that a hunter just can't wait to get up in the morning and kill something they're perceiving what is not the real hunter if they think that a, a cattleman just can't wait to get out there and rope a calf around the neck, there's just no truth about that. Now, the rope is a tool to be able to doctor the animal should we need to get him caught. Um, but it's rarely used. You know, the rifle is a tool to take the life of the animal as a means of, of managing the sustainability of that animal. Um, <clears throat> we're not in a day and age like we might have been 150, 200 years ago, where you're allowed to go out and shoot all the deer you want. You're allowed to go out and shoot all the pheasants and all the ducks you want. You know, there are people that are much smarter than I am, biologists and game commissioners who set limits and understand that the hunting is used as a tool to maintain the population. So um, I just wish it's very difficult. We spoke about this at supper a few minutes ago that to explain Hunting to a non-hunter is very difficult, but um, I, I like to think of myself, and I think most hunters would want to think of themselves also and allow the public to perceive them as not just hunters or killers. They're conservationists. They're people who have the animal in their best interest. They have the wild lands in their best interest. The older we get with our career as hunters, the more we realize it's not just the number or the, the harvest or the killing as we might have when we were teenagers. We couldn't wait to get one mm -hmm. shot and put on the hood of the truck and take right. the show all of our friends. Today, you know, it's the, it's the experiences, it's the adventure, it's the memories we create. So we talked, you, you, you picked out the word perception, and that's what started mine and your relationship, mm -hmm. was perception. Mm -hmm. And we, we told the Blood Origins episode wherein someone's story was tied to cattle, was mm -hmm. tied to ranching, was tied to a, a perception that, you know, as, as you illustrated earlier to me, Robbie, you have a responsibility now because you have a platform. And even though this individual had that experience, someone looking at that is going to perceive mm -hmm. something on an industry like ranching, like cattlemen, in the wrong light. Right. And I respected that gentleman's position there. Uh, basically, he felt hunting was very important to him and his family for the harvest of a wholesome protein product that was not tainted in any way by a growth promotant. It wasn't uh, tainted in any way by an antibiotic or something that could be harmful to himself or the well-being of his family. So, and the way I remember seeing that episode was that I hunt for this reason. Right. The harvest of, of, of a product that is not tainted. Right. And 
the only issue I had and the reason why I reached out to Blood Origins, which I've never done on a social media platform ever. So why did you reach out? Can I pick at that a little bit? Sure, I'll be glad to reach out. I was defending a position. But you said you've never, you've probably been in a position before, though, that you wanted to defend your position, but you said you've never done that in social media. Why did you feel like you could do it with Blood Origins? Well, one of the reasons why I've never done it on a social media platform in the past is because I think it's a no-win situation. You know, you just get into, for lack of a better term, a peeing contest that just generally goes nowhere. And then you start to offend people. It's not a civil thing for the most part. But I am convicted about who I am as a cattleman. And I am a small, small percentage of the folks that are out there that provide for a large population that might not know the truth. And there are safeguards in place. There um, is research that is done. And we can only use products to allow these animals to do the very best to create a safe product. It's about like saying, you know what, are we going to get the COVID shot or not get the COVID shot? The whole idea behind getting the COVID shot is to protect us for something in the future. You know, we have polio vaccines now. and We have other things that help us live lives better than we could have if we were our grandparents' age. So. That same technology has come along in, in, in um, animal agriculture. So if there's something that we could administer to an animal to keep them healthier and provide a better product for the humans to you know, enjoy and find safe, I think that needs to be told. The idea that there's residuals or something to keep a fly off of an animal, a lot of people probably don't realize that um, you know, there are um, constraints on what you can administer or not administer till how long that animal goes for harvest. So if I happen to administer something on a certain day, that animal cannot be taken and produced for, for mm-hmm. beef for 30 days or 45 days. So my whole idea, Robbie, to get back to your original question was I just wanted to say, hey, let me make sure that whoever's buying into whatever this gentleman is selling they know that there's another side to that story, and I was trying to defend my product and de- defend the product of, you know, uh, 15,000 producers in the state of Florida, 95 to 100,000 producers across the country. Well, I appreciated the comment, obviously, because we wouldn't be here without us. Well, you know, you never know where things can lead. Absolutely. What, a- what ended up was we really had a civil conversation that uh, there was no mudslinging from the time we had that phone call. Um, and and some of the people got back in and commented saying, hey, this is just the man's story. And I said, I get it. And this is just my story. That's right. I'm sure that gentleman and I could have a great conversation. Absolutely. You'd because, love Lyle. Because at heart, he's a hunter. And I That's am right. as well. And you are. That's right. And so we have a lot to share. So in the, in the past five minutes, and we talked about this at dinner, and this is where I really wanted, because, you know, conversations tend to go in different rabbit holes. and. Last five minutes, you've said harvest, the Mm. word harvest Mm -hmm. twice. Right. And it's interesting because you are a cattleman, right? And the whole argument, there's a, and we've talked about this, there's an argument in in the hunting world between the use and accuracy of terminology, harvest versus kill, harvest being quote unquote inaccurate, 
kill being extremely accurate, kill being very aggressive, harvest being more PC for the non-hunting public. But you have a very different opinion tied to that. Mm -hmm. I do. Um, I think what we ended up talking about when you first got here tonight was that um, I look at wildlife, especially game animals, as being a crop. Um, there's so much out there now that I don't remember as a kid when it comes to um, growing these animals to their best potential. I mean, if you watch enough outdoor TV or you read enough magazines, there's as much information there about uh, what the right food plot blend is or what the right mineral to put out right. is as there, in the, is there is in the correct caliber of choice to mm -hmm. harvest the animal. So... Um, Again, like I said to you, the way I look at a, a, a turkey, you know, it's, it's, it'll be born this year as a poult, and then next year it'll be a jake, and then two years from now it'll be a, a very nice two-year-old adult gobbler. By the time he's three, he's, he's, he's a big bird. By the time he's four, he's a monster. By the time he's five, he might perish. Just the same as, you know, hey, we don't want to take a three-and-a-half-year-old buck. You know, if we're managing for the most potential in South Texas, we want, you know, a five-and-a-half or six-and-a-half-year-old buck. Right. But at seven-and-a-half, he might be declining, and at some point, all these animals are going to have reached their potential and then be on a downward swing till death. So, yes, I think that a deer, a turkey, an elk, these are all animals that have a certain time to be harvested, to be plucked. Now, uh, you can say killed if you want, but it goes into what... The whole model of, of, of wildlife, especially game species, for me is is that, you know, um, even looking at the record book, Robbie, it's not really supposed to be there as a brag rights for the hunter is to say, hey, this is what these animals have the potential of being. Exactly. It's a, health. It's a health measure. Yeah, it's a health measure. The man's name is next to it. But really and truly, the Boone and Crockett Club or SCI or any of the ones that keep a record book are trying to say, this is where these animals are today compared to where they were 100 years ago. So Correct. isn't that a great um, indication indication of wildlife management in our model here in North America that's looked at by so many people? That's what the record book is to me. Right. The other thing that you mentioned earlier, which, is, which backs up your whole harvest argument, is what is, what's the terminology you use for cattle? Well, yeah, we talk about it all the time. Hey, how's your calf crop looking? You know, I mean, it's a crop of calves. Uh, you know, if you've got 100 cows and, and you've got 94 calves on the ground, you know, I mean, and they're all born within a 60-day period, that's a wonderful crop. You know, if you've got 60 calves out of 100 because you had some sort of issue with what your bull was getting done or whether your female, your cow slipped one or aborted or something like that, you have a poor crop. So it is a crop, and that crop will be harvested when... Those animals are ripe. There's a right time and a wrong time. So I, I think, <laughs> yeah, harvesting might be politically correct so that we don't offend somebody by using the term kill. There's, I guess for, most, for the most part, Robbie, there's not a lot that surrounds the, the word or the term kill that we can perceive as positive. It might be what the problem is. And that's why in today's age and time, we've you know, used the term harvest more often. Um, Do you think, though, it's maybe death by a thousand cuts, for instance, when the non-hunting majority 
says to us, and I don't have the data for this, okay? I haven't done a survey. We haven't, there is no survey out there that says us as a non-hunting majority would prefer Fred, Robbie, for you to use the word harvest, overkill, because it's more palatable for us. Sure. And if you just use that, you can keep hunting. Yeah, I mean, are we in the clinches of those people? It's hard to say. You know, are we, do, we, uh, do they outnumber us so we use politically correct terminology? I can assure Oh, they for sure outnumber us. Oh, they outnumber us, which means that we have to, in an effort not to open a, a can of worms, we do our very best to explain it to them. We do our very best to invite them in our circles. I know a lot of people that I, I just don't know anybody in the groups that I travel in that says, hey, I know this guy. He belongs to the same golf league that I do. And uh, he's been begging me to go hunting. I am not going to take him. No. If somebody <laughs> says, hey, can I borrow a gun and get a license and go with you? I Just about everybody I know would say, hey, sure. They may like it or they may say, you know what? Getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning and driving an hour in the dark and sitting in a duck blind and freezing my tail off was not for me. Other people, I have a saying, the more miserable, the more memorable. We talked about a lady tonight who is a, a, a well-accomplished worldwide hunter. And we really never said anything about the animals that she's taken in her right. career. What we were talking about was her hardships mm-hmm. to be involved in the adventure because that's the part that makes it more memorable. Right. Isn't that what you see typically when you see that you know piece of taxidermy on the wall, the quote-unquote trophy head oh, yeah. on the wall? You're not looking at that animal and go, man, I remember mm-hmm. I put that bullet right there behind its shoulder. Yeah. You don't remember that, right? No. We talked about that. I mean... At 53, I have a few animals hanging that I took when I was 16 or 17, and I have a lot that I've taken in the last 20 years. And that just evolves. Time changes from just wanting to get it killed to, hey, you know what? My gosh, I remember the bells on the horses when they came into camp that morning. I remember the fog that we rode out in. I remember having the headlamps on as we were trying to get back across the river. So I think that a real hunter, sportsman, outdoorsman, when he sits in his little old world, and those trophies on the wall mean the very most to him and him alone. They may have some significance because his family's heard them tell that story a hundred times, or he shared it with his wife or his son or his daughter, but the trophy means the most to the hunter because when he looks at it, only he can recall the entire experience, good, bad, or indifferent. Or he can recall the fact that, hey, I finally killed this sheep. I had to go four times. Right. Save the money, get in shape, prepare myself. So the reflection process, the older you get, is huge. Really So, big. so why do you think we're in such a, a quandary when it comes to this idea of trophy hunting? Well, because unfortunately, I'll tell you exactly why that is. For my, in my opinion, nobody else's. In some situations, and very often, we're in this quandary because it has become, for some folks, status. Now, that may be nothing more than my opinion, but if I'm sitting there talking to an outfitter at a show like Dallas Safari Club or SCI, and some gentleman comes up and cuts me off and looks at the outfitter and says, I need a desert bighorn. I need a Rocky Mountain goat. I need a tule elk. 
you really don't need anything, sir. You just claim you need that to finish out your 29. So is he looking for the adventure? And he'd say, well, I really aspire to go and do that. Or is he looking for a number? You know, sheep, sheep are great adventures. I've been. How many sheep have you killed? I've killed four. I mean, I've killed two stones, so I still lack the uh, desert bighorn that I hope to be able to draw one day and take in that adventure. Um, But those are wonderful adventures. Those are in the high country. Those are generally horseback or tented or backpack affairs. Um, You just can't really sit down at the lodge and kill one from the back porch. You have to have yourself in shape physically and especially mentally. I really love to get to know the guides because the guides are the real mountain men. And, uh, you know, they say you can learn a lot about a man in a round of golf. That's four hours. The beer cart lady's coming by every half an hour or so. You're in a controlled environment on a sunny day. No, you really get to know the guy after 10 days on the mountain in the pup tent in the rain for three or four days. And the sheep are wonderful adventures. But unfortunately, they have become a symbol of status in our world. Is it because they're expensive to go on? Is it because you have to travel to far and away and hard places? Or because so many people have been able to take all four of them? I think there's there's probably way more than have listed their Grand Slams, but I think there's about 2,700 right. people who've done it, maybe not right. even 3,000. But to me, I hope that somebody doesn't overlook what the adventure is in itself. Shouldn't we look at the sheep hunting community specifically? Because it's, I've, look, the only sheep I've ever hunted is a poor man's sheep. Barbary sheep in New Mexico. Awesome hunt. And that kicked my tail. No fences there. No, it's just, sheep hunting is legit hunting. (laughs) It is no joke hunting, right? No question about it. And the, you know, again, for the non-informed individuals, that's what, you know, when you talk about a trophy, just going out for a trophy, that's impossible. When you've sat on, the, on a mountain for 10 days looking for that one sheep, you've probably passed 30 sheep because mm-hmm. they were not of age. Mm-hmm. And the misery that you put yourself through mm-hmm. to take that one animal, like you can't call it trophy hunting right it's um i tell you the third sheep that i had the good fortune to go on was a stone sheep hunt with art and crystal thompson gundahu river outfitters in 2007 oh that's where jason heston used to go yeah he, he hunted with them wonderful people christian people solid country great pilot great horses great family just some of truly wonderful friends of mine and um i'll go through this as quick as i can but i want to put this into perspective take your time art thompson had that concession for many years bought it originally from a fellow i believe named red Sorensen. and when it came time for me to save and go on a, a stone sheep hunt everything lined up to go with him People recommended him, and there's a lot of great ones out there, but somehow I fell on him. And I said, Art, I want to book this hunt. I can probably go in two years and pay a little bit in time, but I'd really like to book a late-season hunt because I'd love to be able to take one of those dark-haired rams, you know, 
just awesome for a full body. First full body sheep I'd ever do. He said, okay, well then we'll book it for these dates. And I think it was September 1st to the 14th, 2007. He would take 11 sheep hunters a year. In five years, he would get 55 tags. So his deal was to take 11 sheep hunters. So Crystal picked me up at the Fort Nelson Airport, summer about September 1st, 2007. And uh, we were taking that three-hour ride out to their camp the Gundahu River camp, and uh, I'm, we're going down the highway, the Alcan Highway there from Fort Nelson, and I said, so how's the hunting been going? She says, oh, really great. She said, we've had 10 hunters in. Um, you're the last one, and everybody's got the ram except for one fella who was here for a day and a half. His father had a heart attack. He had to go home, so everybody else is having great luck, and they've we killed some nice mountain goats and some nice caribou. So I was all excited. I'm going to tell you this as quick as I can. I hunted 14 days. Never came across illegal sheep. Art checked on us about once every four to five days in the Super Cub. He landed there on the 14th day. He said, can you give us a few more days? You have to go home with the ram. I said, I don't know, Art. I put just this much time aside from work and the family. He said, give us a few more days. I stayed 19 days, Robbie. Wow. No shower. That's the way that goes in sheep country. In the meantime, they... You didn't f- drop into the valleys and just get a dip in the stream? <laughs> it's pretty cold by the, end, by the middle of September <laughs> up there. So he had one hunter come into the camp. That was a fill-in for the fellow that couldn't kill because he had to go home early. He hunted for three days and killed a 38-inch ram. So now oh they're 10 gosh. for 11. Guess who had the monkey on his head? Good old Freddy boy. Went home after the 19th day with no shot at a legal ram and a pocket full of tags for grizzly and caribou. Wow. So I go home. I'm pretty dejected, saved for years to go on this hunt because I'm not a wealthy guy by any means. And I was done. I will never sheep hunt again. Yep. This has spun me down to nothing. Yep. I climbed the mountains. I did my part. I didn't, I, I was entitled to nothing. Would you, would you be okay me asking how much that hunt was? At the time, it was $27,000. In 2007. Heck of a lot of money. Yep. So, again, I'll fast forward this to put it all into perspective. Um, my, uh, I came home on the 20th of September, about the 26th or 7th, I got a call from Mark Thompson. He said, Fred, we've got moose hunters in the field, and they're seeing rams. Can you get back here? Our season closes October 15th. I said, Art, it's impossible. I'm going to be fired and divorced, or maybe both. <laughs> he said, Fred, this is your chance. So I looked at my wife. She shook her head, and she said, just go, just go, but you're going to have to get it by wit. My boss here at Quail Creek, the owner. So I went to see him. I started to talk to him. He goes, all right, how long are you going to be gone? <laughs> and I said, about 10 days. He said, just be safe and come back. So great, I get to go. I get back to Fort Nelson on October the 3rd. I'm in the field on the 4th, and that two-week time, it had turned into a winter wonderland. Ten more days, Robbie Kroger. Ten more days? Hiking, riding, climbing, climbing, hiking, riding, post-holing through waist-deep of snow to the top of the mountain. Oh, those three lambs, those three rams there are not legal. We're really sorry. So now I'm 29 days, no shot at a legal ram. That's October fifteenth. I go home. Now I'm really dejected. No, you didn't. And I want to take that my second. Dog. You went. You did not the second time. Now I'm twenty nine days. Then, um, and I'll do this as quick as I can. About 
whenever the SCI show was getting ready to start in January or February of that year in 2008, I get a call from Art Thompson, Fred, I'm getting ready to start the show, and I really want you to come back, but I've only got one or two spots, and I'm probably going to fill them once we open the show. I said, Art, I don't have that kind of money. That's virtually impossible. He said, me and Crystal and the guides know you worked hard. And he said, we want you to come back, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out with you. might be a daily rate, but it's, it's not going to be the full amount. We want you to do this, but I need you there August the 15th. I said, I'll figure this out. I'll talk to my wife. I got back in shape, and I went back. And on the fifth day, I killed a nice ram. And that ram, um, <clears throat> was he Boone and Crockett? No, he wasn't anything special other than that he was my ram that I put 34 hard days and three trips in for. And he, uh, <clears throat> we we had him on the side of the mountain. I was hunting with a fellow named A.J. Womstreaker and another fellow by the name of um, Colin Niemeyer, who's got his own con- uh, concession now. He's a very successful outfitter. And we were taking... Uh, pictures we got done with the pictures started the caping process and a big rainstorm came in and once the rainstorm cleared there was a a big rainbow that came out behind that ram took the pictures and uh, it ended up that picture the following year was put on the front cover of the Ovis Grand Slam magazine and that's the 29 or excuse me the 34 days wowza trying to kill a ram yeah, I just well, number one, you look like a uh, <laughs> an infant in that picture. Well, that was whatever it was. That's amazing. 12, 13 years ago. So that was a long story to a great adventure for me. So wasn't it about the pursuit? I, didn't, I can't tell you what that animal scored. I may remember his bases or his length, but that has nothing to do with it. What has to do with it was the pursuit. What has to do with it was all that was involved in the story, and that's what I remember when I see that guy in my house now. Mm. was was how much I was ready to call it quits. But I just had to continually come back to the table because at the end of the day, the hard-earned trophies are the sweetest of them. We might not remember the ones that, that we killed on the morning of the first day. Right. Anyways, I hate to take that much time, but that's No, no, I it was a phenomenal that. story. <laughs> I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah. So, Fred, as we wrap this up, like, where do we go from here? Like, where does hunting go from here? Yeah. You know, you've got perception problems in the cattleman's industry that you've mm-hmm. probably been dealing with for quite some time. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with the same perception problems in the hunting industry. Where do we go from here? Well, the Florida Cattlemen's Association, this is something really started by generations before us younger guys that are, have the, the reins now. And our president a few years ago, Matt Pierce, he said, we have to do a far better job of telling our story. We have to tell that story not to our own people. You and I can talk about it with, you know, a group of hunters in this room or at right. a, a show or, you know. With the Jesse. echo chamber. Yeah. We, we, we got to get outside of that. We need to tell our story and invite people within our ranks and not try to be some kind of elite or exclusive groups. We have a saying here, open gates, open minds. If somebody thinks that there's a problem with the cattle industry, we're going to invite them to come onto our ranch and see. Come with us when we're working cattle. If you want us to find your horse, we'll invite anybody in who wants to look. As long as we think they they have an open mind. If they've come to slander us, you know, we still have nothing to hide. So in hunting, 
I think we need to do the same thing. I think we can never, there's, you see a lot of the hunting shows, they never pass up an opportunity to take a kid hunting or fishing. Well, let's just take an adult who's never been hunting or fishing. I think we're going to do that here in the next couple of days. That's right. So we have to tell our story. If we ever get the slightest opportunity to invite somebody within our circle, we need to open that gate, let them in, take them, see if it's for them or not for them. More than likely, they've got the wrong idea. And we might end up creating, you know, one outdoorsman, outdoors person, mm-hmm. sportsman, somebody who uh, might pass it on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. My dad was not a hunter, but I love it. I just love it to the end. And I, I like the like-minded people that I get to spend time with. I like the adventure. And really and truly, just like us, in this libation, and you know, this stiff drink in the glass, it's, it's really about having stuff to talk about years down the line. Right. That's my favorite part. Well, uh, I'm certainly a big fan of yours. I, uh, you, That's a mutual feeling. I, um, I'm grateful for the amicable discussions and obviously your, you know, you having us here and your opening the doors and just allowing us to be here and obviously what we're going to do in the next couple of days and people will get to know what we're doing because we're actually taking a non-hunter tomorrow and the next day to become a hunter mm-hmm. and uh, that's something important obviously when this blood origins isn't we're not building hunters that's not what we that's not the point of what we do but the message as you said the story the the idea of why she is moving from being a non-hunter to a hunter is what we're interested we've in. We've got to tell it. We've got to do a better story of that. And like I said, just open gates, open minds, allowing those people in. And uh, really, Robbie making no apology for being a hunter. Right. I think we said it earlier, and I just, you know, when we didn't have the headsets on, it's really hard to listen to that person that says, you know, you guys that hunt, you got to quit doing that or there's going to be nothing left. They're just a bit in, uninformed, and we need to do a better job of taking a few minutes to say, did you know what hunters have done for the propagation of animals? I tell you what, it wasn't a half a century ago that in some areas you'd get your name in the paper for taking a white-tailed deer, for killing a white-tailed deer. Nowadays, they're in the suburbs and they're everywhere. Wild turkeys quail i mean there's just so many success stories of game species and it has to do with what hunter conservationists slash sportsmen have done for wildlife 100 and wild places 100 <clears throat> percent. well fred i appreciate you being a part of the blood origins family it's a pleasure and uh i appreciate the conversation well we're just getting started yes sir well that's it for today i appreciate you listening As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know, right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.